hands is because you don't want the plague, trust me. <clears throat> so I'm going to try to keep it to myself. Keep all you guys good. Stay away. <laughs> Let's go uh, before the Lord. Proverbs chapter 16. We're looking at uh, God's divine sovereignty and man's human responsibility brought in the contrast all the way through Proverbs 16. And uh, we'll be picking it up in verse 9, working our way through. We have three collections, and each one of the three collections of Proverbs it's going to begin with a phrase about God's divine sovereignty, and it's going to end with, uh, it is better than. So maybe several verses uh, in each series of Proverbs, but that's how you'll understand the group that goes together. starts with a statement about God's sovereignty, and then it will close off with a statement of, it is better this than that. So let's take a look. Proverbs 16.9 uh, says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings who do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king. He loves him who speaks what is right. A king's favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his life preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. That's our first section. Second one begins. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges, his on, urges him on. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And then the last two verses. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your Proverbs, God, we pray that uh, you give us eyes to see the road signs laid out before us. Help us to recognize the turns and the twists that you're warning us about. Help us to understand that uh, our life as we follow you is just simply paying attention to the street signs. God, we ask that you bless this time. Speak to us through your word, God. 
draw us near to you as we draw near to you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So our three statements of divine providence. 16.9, Each one is a statement about God's sovereignty working together with human responsibility that man chooses that God is still in control in the midst of it all. Sometimes those are difficult concepts for us to understand unless you've ever actually, well, maybe maybe uh, if you played sports or you're a chess fan, maybe you found yourself in a situation where the foe that you're up against somehow gets you to do whatever he wants you to do. Now, I don't know, in boxing, there's a certain way in boxing that you would, you would force your opponent to go a certain direction, the direction you want him to go. In uh, football, same way, you set up your defense in such a way that the offense runs where they think your weakness is, but it's not really your weakness. Now, the offense or the boxer involved still making their own decisions, right? But they're going right where the other person wants him to go. Kind of in a similar way, God in his sovereignty will accomplish his will. And you and I, we're going to do what we want. We're going to do what's in our heart. But God is still going to accomplish his purpose. That's why it says the heart of man plans his ways. We have our plans, right? But the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord establishes. We have this statement of God's divine providence. Now, he's going to build on the idea as we continue verse 10. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. The idea that we're looking at in the next five verses is God's desire for righteousness in government. God set up government. God's the one who brought it together. In fact, the first form of government we see is a family. Afterwards, we see actual government in a city where God says, <clears throat> these are the men who are supposed to punish the evildoer. <clears throat> Excuse me, they're to do righteousness. They're to work righteousness. So this is his desire for the king, that the king would be a righteous king. And, and part of that is, the righteous king is speaking for God. The unrighteous king may not be. But the same thing, when we began in verse 9, that unrighteous king may be making his own decisions. But, but God's directing the steps. He's going to get... He's going to get the result that God desires. Are you guys tracking with me? So the righteous king, he can speak for God. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A king who's submitted to God will give righteous judgment. You guys all remember Solomon, right? Remember the two women coming to Solomon, each saying it was the other woman's baby who died? and Yeah. And because Solomon was filled with God's wisdom, which is again a picture of being filled with Christ, he understood right judgment. He made a right decision that led to righteousness. So a righteous king, that's, that's how this is uh, supposed to work. A just balance in scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. See, God hates unjust scales. You guys know what that is? So if you went to go buy, uh, 
whatever, bushel of wheat, there, it was weighed out for you. So an unjust scale would make the bushel too light. So you're paying for a bushel, but you're actually getting less. You get what I'm saying? So they would have these special weights that they would set on. <clears throat> one if you were buying, a different, different one if you were selling. That way they, they always made a little bit more money. God says he hates unjust scales. So that, that justice should be righteous. That the king should be righteous, follower of God. And that his justice and balances, they belong to God. God wants justice. If you want to understand how God feels about injustice, read Psalm 82. In Psalm 82, God judges angels. And as he judges those angels, he judges them because they did not work justice and mercy. And so God brings his judgment against them. God wants just scales. In verse 12, it's an abomination to kings to do evil. For the throne is established by righteousness. Now the point is, God's saying, look, I'm the one who established government. So you're supposed to be righteous, not unrighteous. You're supposed to be holy, not unholy. Now we know that man has problems with that, right? Because for the nation of Israel, when they would become a king, one of the first acts as king would be to make their own copy of the Bible. They were to take the Old Testament scriptures and write them out by hand, not in a copy machine, not print them off a computer, write them out by hand. Why? Because God wants a king to know what's expected of him. So God says, look, I, I, there are no past, no such thing as evil king. King's supposed to be righteous. I gave that position to be a position of righteousness. Now, what does that mean? We know there's unrighteous kings. That means that man still gets to make his choices, and ultimately God will judge him for it, right? But the end result, God gets the nation of Israel where he wants them to be. God brings Messiah to the world to bring salvation, right? God still accomplishes his purpose despite uh, the freedom of man. <coughs> Verse 13. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Oh, see, God loves a king, not only a righteous king, but a king who says the right things. Whose heart is submitted to God. Part of writing out the scriptures would make that king bow the knee to God, right? He's like, wow, this is, there's a lot of responsibility here. I shouldn't be flippant about what I do or what I say. When we look at this scripture and we think about righteous king, I also want you to understand that that same application can be made to father or to any position of authority that God has created. That in that position of authority as a parent, as father, as king, there is responsibility to fulfill that role in God's way. So God loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. So a wise man would appease it. Yeah, don't get on the bad side of the king, right? What happened when somebody got on the bad side of Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, off with your head, if you're lucky. If you're unlucky, you get thrown in the fiery furnace, right? So appease the king. There's supposed to be a response from the people, uh, some kind of submission to the authority that God has created. In the light of a king's face, there's life. 
And his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. Hey, a good king brings life. A righteous king brings life. So then, how should we, what should we be praying for? What should we be longing for? Righteous king, right? Righteous king. Look, I don't know, I don't know, I'll tell you this. Our current king is not any less righteous than I am just easier because everything he does wrong they put on the news how about a news camera followed you around all day they have anything to say oh maybe (laughs) so what is it that god wants us to do pray for a righteous king pray that god has a hold of his heart pray that he says what god wants him to say i was pretty stoked that he acknowledged jerusalem as the capital of israel that's never happened before that's a pretty big deal to say, yeah, that's the capital. The whole world says, Jerusalem, said, Israel says Jerusalem's our capital. And the, whole wor- the rest of the world says, no, your capital's Tel Aviv. Now, when does that ever happen? In the United States, it'd be like us saying, Washington, D.C. is our capital, and somebody else saying, nope, from now on, your capital's Virginia City. Well, who are you to tell me where my capital is? That's how the whole world is. It's a crack up. To Israel, but our our current king acknowledged Jerusalem as their capital, so he stands in a line of one, acknowledging it as the their capital. Now we go on verse sixteen. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil, and whoever guards his way preserves his life. So what's he laying out for us? Well, this is what he's saying. Remember I told you it would, it would come to a, a better and best ideal. So what we have here, the better to best, how much better is wisdom than gold? Life is better than riches. Life is better than wealth. To have a good life has nothing to do with how much is in your bank account. I know very happy people who didn't have any money. I've seen very... Happy, joyous people living in a hut with a dirt floor in Africa. And they're, they're fine. They don't know what you have and what they don't. And they can have just as much joy in that circumstance as anybody else. It has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. What it has to do with is, is our attitude toward the Lord. <coughs> the Bible says that the fullness of joy... It's found in the presence of God. We get into his presence, we'll find that joy. And that is best. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. So if I'm walking the road, right, I'm walking that path of life, then part of the way that I don't get sideways is I do what? I turn aside from evil. What's evil? How shall we decide what's evil and what's good? Well, I got a real easy way doesn't make it very complicated. I call evil whatever God calls evil. And I call good whatever God calls good. Yeah, my feelings or ideals, they can change and shift. But if God's word says something's evil, it does not require your uh, understanding. It just requires your obedience. The man walking the path of life turns away from evil. He changes his direction. He acknowledges, man, I want to walk the path of life. I want to go where God's leading me. 
And whoever guards his way preserves his life. Protect the road you're on. Think about, pay attention to the road signs, right? That's what we've been talking about in Proverbs. Pay attention to the road signs. What do they say? Does it say road of life, narrow way? Does it say Broadway, path of destruction? Yeah, pay attention. Don't just take off down the road. I spent 13 years running down the wrong road. That's a long time. A lot of destruction. I don't get, I don't get that stuff back. But I can always turn, right, and get on the road that God is calling me to. I need to guard my way. Because if you guard your way, pay attention, you preserve life. Why? Because the road you're on leads where? To life. Isn't that what we want? I hope so. Verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. We've heard that before, right? So what's pride? What road is it on? Pride comes before destruction. It's like the big sign over the Broadway. Pride. Anybody struggle with pride? I do. Yeah. I better crucify that. Mortify that. Let that die. Learn to be humble. Somebody used to tell us when we were in Bible college, I, I, I used to swear that the Bible college I went to was the first church of slavery. Because... When you were in Bible college back in those days, today it's not the same. It's a little easier, I think. But there's a new one there, so I don't know. But back in the old days, you uh, you worked. It didn't cost nothing to go to Bible college. It was free. But they expected service. And basically what they expected was your service, to your answer would always be yes to whatever they had going on. Because what you were getting in return was school. So, they said a true test of a servant is, is how you react when you're treated like one. Right? You look at the apostles. What was the, how did the apostles speak about humility? They're writing scripture. Okay? They know they're writing scripture. They know that the words of God are flowing through their pen. And they begin their letter with, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm nothing special. I'm a slave. The true test of a slave. How do you respond when somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, man, you clean that up? Well, why don't you clean it up? Oh, there's that pride sticking its head up again. Yeah? I think sometimes God allows those circumstances in our life just to let us see it. Oh, yep, it's still alive and well. Pride is still alive and kicking. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, Scripture says, and He will lift you up. So we don't want to stumble. The road to destruction is the road of pride. So it is better to be of a lowly spirit, humble, with the poor, than to divide the spoil of the proud. It's better to be humble and have nothing than to be proud and have it all. Why? Because pride is what road? Destruction. Do we want that road? Is that the journey we want? It says what's at the end of it, right? Walk the road of pride and you end up in destruction. Seems like a bad choice. Walk the road of humility. That's the path of life. All right, we have our next... <coughs> excuse me, our next statement about divine providence, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Whoever gives... Thought to the word will discover good. Blessed is he 
who trusts in the Lord. The idea is man's responding to God. Man responds to God by searching his word. Man responds to God by thinking about how he should speak. God's sovereignty works in the heart of a man who trusts in him. What, what did Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with how much of our heart? In everything we do, acknowledge him, right? That's all things. Not leaning into our own understanding, right? We're trusting in him with everything that we have. And what's he say? I'll keep your path straight. I'll keep you on the road of life. This is what God's word is telling us. Hey, God will keep you on that path. Give thought to the word. For blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The wise of heart is called discerning, understanding right from wrong. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The wise of heart. Now, how do we become the wise of heart? Pay attention to the street signs. That's what Proverbs is saying. Follow Jesus Christ who said, come follow me. Jesus said there are two roads. What were they? The narrow path leads to life. Broadway leads to destruction. So the wise heart is discerning. He understands. And then, listen to this phrase, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. It's not about, I used to know these guys who would stand on the street corner with a bullhorn and yell at people through a bullhorn to repent. (coughs) And, you know, sometimes I think, I won't say that's never important. Sometimes it is. Sometimes people just got to yell, repent. But the Bible says uh, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Sometimes, what, how's the saying? You catch more bees with honey than with vinegar. Thinking about, the Bible says a right word in season is what we want. So who knows those things? God does, doesn't he? Is it possible that the right word is shouting in a bullhorn, repent? For sure. Yeah, for sure. What, who, who decides that? God. And how do we begin this section? The man who trusts in the Lord, right? He's going to have the right words. He's going to have the right words to say, the man who trusts in the Lord. says, God, or good sense, <coughs> is a fountain of life to him who has it. But the instructions of fools is folly. For the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like the honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. If a man is going to speak the right words, then he needs to be ruled by the fear of the Lord, trusting in God. If I trust in God, if I, as soon as I start trusting in me, I can always tell when my flesh is involved because I get mad. You guys ever do that? It's part, of, it's part of what I like about doing the round table. I missed it last night. <clears throat> but uh, part of what I like about doing the round table and some of the discussions I've had in the past <clears throat> in Bible college or other places, even on the corner out at Planned Parenthood, I know when I'm in the spirit because I'm not angry. No matter what the person's saying, they might be yelling. But I'm, I'm able to be calm because I'm it's standing in that place where I'm trusting in the Lord. He'll give me the word. And I'm not dependent on me. If I'm dependent on me, I start to freak out a little bit. 
I go, oh, what do I say? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know what I mean? But I just want to stand there and trust that God knows what he's doing, that God, that God will give me what I need at just the right time. So we also recognize that wise teachers will choose their words carefully. And because they do, people learn. What's the, the wise teacher? The person submitted to God, right? The one trusting in the Lord. He has the right word at the right time. Why? Because he trusts in the Lord. Sometimes the right words, I don't know. You guys know that's okay? Let me give you permission to say I don't know. You have permission. I don't know. All right? There's a million people in this world struggle with something called the problem of pain. Right? You guys know what I mean? That life hurts. And it's hard to find justification for the hurts of life. And so you get into the old argument about how can there be a good God if there's pain in this world? I think you asked the wrong question. How, how do you know what's painful if you don't know what's good? How, how do you know what's good if you don't know God? What foundation or justification do you have for anything being right or anything being wrong? Apart from God. Is it just your feelings or is it the other person's? What about the person who did wrong? They were just doing what they wanted. Why is that wrong? As soon as we put God outside of our reality, we're in, we, we are left with absurdity. And absurdity doesn't make any sense. There's no answer there. Here's what God says about pain. All your pain matters to God. It wasn't pointless. It wasn't worthless. It all matters. And one day, he'll look in your eyes and you'll understand it. Maybe you'll get some of that answers here. Maybe you won't. God's God. I'm not. With the fear of the Lord or the trusting of God comes the right word in season. You take God out, you have no answer. You're left with only absurdity look at verse 25 there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death sound like a road sign right hey this you think this is the right way to go what's it mean it means the path that sometimes we want to take looks good but it's not so good anybody ever had that experience in your life hey i think this looks good this looks really good i'm going to do it and found out that that was not the way you should have went yeah, I know. I did. I went down that road. In fact, I made a deal. I was so mad at God. I told him if the road said God, I was going the other way every time. And all that did was bring death. It's all brought. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it's not the road you want to be on. Who knows the road? God, right? He's the one who knows. He's the one through whom we can have understanding. Look at verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. What's that saying? You're going to do what you want. Does anybody know that? I have been counseling in churches for more than 20 years. Here's what I've learned in 20 years of counseling. You're going to do what you want. Why are you coming and talking to me? You're not going to listen to me anyway. I'm going to say go left. You're going to go right. 
right? You're going to do what you want to do. This is what this verse is talking about. (coughs) A worker's appetite works for him. I'm going to do what I want. His mouth urges him on. I'm going to do what I want. Here's the positive spin to that guy. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. How do I know if my desire, the thing I want, is good or not? Right? We have a hard time as human beings telling the difference between good and evil. That's where the whole fall came from. And we're not any better at it today. Is this good or bad? Is this move good or bad? Is this job good or bad? Is this girlfriend good or bad? Boyfriend good or bad? This relationship good or bad? How do I know my desire is godly? The Bible says delight in the Lord. And what's he do? He'll put it in your heart. I tell people this all the time. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Then do what you want. You don't have to be afraid. Because your heart is set on the Lord. So your desires are godly. Everybody tracking? It's not complicated. It's not super difficult. Delight in the Lord. Here's how Paul said it in Romans. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So it's possible I can let my desire be sinful or I can let my desire be godly. Yes? So I am able to do that. I'm able to respond. If I choose to delight in the Lord, I'll have godly desires. If I choose to delight in wealth, I might not. I choose to delight in a relationship, I might not. I choose to delight in a new shiny motorcycle, I might not. But if I delight in the Lord, then I know my desires are godly. It's okay, because God is my desire. He's my treasure. He's the one I'm seeking. My heart is set on him. That's the key to understanding the road sign. Verse 27 says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, <coughs> and a whisperer or gossiper separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eye plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. What do we have here? In this section we're talking about the man of evil schemes. What's he look like? What are the street signs of a man with evil schemes? One, he plots evil. He's always plotting. His speech is like fire. What's that mean? It's catchy. It spreads. The picture is like that of gossip. In fact, the next phrase deals with gossip. He spreads strife, divides friends, leads others to destruction, plans dishonesty. Everything about it is saying this is the road to destruction. Don't follow the fool. The fool is not going to lead you where you want to go. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It's gained in a righteous life. Yeah, hallelujah. Something good about gray hair, huh? <coughs> what about a gray beard? Oh, I don't know if that's a crown. That's something else, probably. Sorry, Howard. 
Gray hair is a crown of glory gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit better than he who takes the city. Begins with the idea, we're, we're in a culture that worships youth. Our culture is backwards. Right? My, I don't know if it's always this way, but every kid is sure that everybody with gray hair is stupid. That everything wrong doesn't have anything wise that they can bring or give. When I was 16, I had all the answers too. I know. Then I'm 50-something now, and I'm pretty sure I don't have any of them. So, so maybe we can be in agreement with that. But the idea, scripturally, is to respect your elders. The fact that someone lived a long life means they did something right. Not perfect. There's no such thing. No perfect survivors. Right? So the scripture is laying out this idea of respecting or caring for elders. And then realizing this, the foundation of righteousness is to rule your unruly spirit. Control yourself. That's the next verse. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. The word for mighty is the Hebrew word gibor. It means a hero. The man who is slow to anger is better than the hero. The guy who saves the damsel in distress from the jaws of the dragon. God says, yeah, it's better to be slow to anger. We don't think that way. Everybody wants to be the rescuer. He who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. The man who has self-control is better than the hero. It's, it's something to strive for. We may strive to be the best at what we do in our vocation. We may strive to be the best in whatever sport we love or music that we listen to. We may strive for the best of all those things. But God says it's better to learn self-control and to be the hero of all of that. Learning to be slow to wrath. And the man who is rescuing the city. Finally, we have our third statement of God's providence. The lot is cast in the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Now, I don't want you guys to misunderstand this. When it says the lot is cast in the lap. It implies that a man has picked for you and thrown your lot in your lap. In other words, you didn't reach in and pick Somebody picked your lot for you and threw it in your lap. And sometimes our <coughs> discussion might be, well, that wasn't fair. You cheated. I might not have, that might not have been the lot I was supposed to get. But Scripture says God's providence works in it. It's every decision is from who? God. Man can't foil God's purpose. It's important to understand that. God is not in heaven wringing his hands, hoping everything works out. Right? Are you guys tracking with me? He's not like right on the edge, worry, oh my gosh, uh, if, if one more person makes a wrong choice, it all goes up in flames. No, he's not wringing his hands. Things are, are following uh, his purpose. Even if it doesn't look like it to you and I. Even if it looks like somebody cheated. I, I love this because I see people use this often when we talk about the disciples who were chosen. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Judas uh, betrayed, hung himself, committed suicide. Peter said, we need to pick somebody else. You guys remember? They 
drew lots. A lot of people want to say they drew lots and man's choice was Matthias. Am I right? Matthias' name. I can't even remember who it is. Matthias? I'm always looking to you, John. You've got to give me the right answers when I need them. So he chose Matthias. And I've heard people saying, well, Matthias is man's choice. God's choice was Paul. And I'd say, well, bunk. God's choice is Paul, and God's choice is Matthias. You had 120 men unified, full of the Holy Spirit, praying to be obedient to God, and they chose Matthias. What's the, what's the street signs tell us? That's the path of life, right? Yeah, God knows what he's doing. People say, well, what did Matthias do? I don't know. What did you do? The Bible says all our names are written in his book. Yeah? Before we worry about Matthias, I probably ought to worry about me. You know? Everybody wants to hang their hat on the thief at the cross. That's probably not the, the summit. Right? Well, I've done as much as the thief on the cross. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. That's probably the low mark. We might want to shoot a little bit higher than that. We might, we might want to lift our sight. A little bit. And then look, verse 17, verse 1. Our better statement, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting and strife. Better to have peace and not all that much to eat. You know, Kathy and I have a Christmas we never forgot. It was our first Christmas in a Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, in their infinite wisdom, chose to give me a no-pay-due payday before Christmas. Back then, I made $300 a month. I know, you do. You had it worse. <laughs> and uh, I had a house. I didn't have to pay rent, you know. Well, at that time, we were, we were renting. But nonetheless, we we'd had nothing. So we went out into the, we are in North Carolina, and we went outside, picked up a pine cone, stack of them, made a pine cone tree, built a little pine cone tree in our trailer park, our single wide trailer that we lived in. And we put that on top of our little black and white TV. And so we, that was our tree. And that year for gifts, we wrote cards to each other. You know, uh, she promised me 24 hours without nagging, I think was one of the things she promised me, which I valued greatly that card. So I would always keep my watch. Okay, babe, it's not 24 hours and you started, so I get to use this card again, right? Yeah. And like I would give her one, I'll, I'll give you a back rub or rub your feet or, you know, just whatever. That's all we had. And there was <clears throat> a bunch of Marines that couldn't go home for Christmas for whatever reason. And so they say, hey, can we come over for, for dinner? And I'm like, well, we don't got no money. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have whatever we have. So they said, cool. So they came over, and I think we made two. We had two Cornish hens in the freezer. So we cooked two Cornish hens and <coughs> whatever stuff we had, sorry, whatever stuff we had laying around. And, and it was probably the most peaceful, blessed Christmas ever. Now, maybe part of it's because we didn't have kids yet. I don't know. But it was it was pretty cool, you know. I've had a lot since then. You know, that was a year with nothing. I have, I've had years of plenty and years of want, but but that one was always special because it's better to have peace 
with a little than a lot and strife. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. Don't think about all the empty promises the world throws out there. Oh, if you have all this, you'll be happy. Trust me. You can be just as bummed with a lot. And you can be happier with nothing. So pay attention to the road signs. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together to study your word. To look to you, God, I pray that you would meet us here, Lord, that you help us just in our day-to-day. We want to be able to uh, pay attention to the path we're on. We want to guard our way. We want to think about what we're doing. If we're exercising self-control or not. If I am following the desires of my heart, but my heart is not set on you. God, I pray in all these things you would draw our hearts, <coughs> our eyes to you. That it would be, in the end, our desire, Lord God, to hear the words of our Savior calling, Come, follow me. God, I pray, as we walk that narrow way, you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry, I was almost ready. Okay. All right, will you join me in singing the last song? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling.